This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter. Scott Eklund, Washington takes on Oregon State at Reeser Stadium. 6 p.m. kickoff down in the lovely, sprawling metropolis of Corvallis, Oregon. Weather tonight expected to be pretty nice, pretty mild. I don't know how many people are planning on traveling down, but expect a kind of a crazy crowd down at Oregon State first week at home with the students in the stands and from my understanding, the student section is sold out, and it's uh, after that win last week against USC. A lot of excitement down in down in uh, Corvallis. Uh, Beaver Mania maybe hit. You know, we got Hainer Mania, McGrew Mania, and this week it seems to be Beaver Mania. But it's not going to be an easy game, you guys. Yeah, it's not a good matchup for the Huskies. I mean, my my prediction that I, that we put out yesterday. Um, I just don't think this is a great matchup on either side of the ball for Washington. I think the things that Oregon State does well are things that Washington either is not doing well or they're not, they haven't proven yet that they can do well. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a tough game for them. They're going to have to play almost a perfect game in order to win. Yeah, you know, when you take a look at Washington's offense against Oregon State's defense, I don't think Oregon State's defense is all that good. But, um, you know, they've got some strength in the middle, which is that linebacking core. Um, they've got some dudes there for sure, and that seems to be the strength of their defense. And that seems to be the area that uh, Washington this season has wanted to attack the most. So, um, you know, talk a little bit about that short passing game, those dump offs, and are they going to be able to pull that off against Oregon State, Chris? Uh, they could. I mean, I to me, again, this feels a little bit in some ways now it's counterintuitive because I didn't predict a Washington win. But in some ways, this does feel like the Arkansas State game in the sense that it's strength on strength on one side of the ball and kind of perceived weakness on weakness on the other side of the ball. And, you know, the strength on strength that we're talking about is obviously Oregon state's offense versus Washington's defense. But you mentioned Washington's offense, you know, they've got to show something in the line of scrimmage, Kim, that to me, that's where it starts. It, that has to, they have to be able to have some semblance of a run game. And they've tried to supplement that via that short passing game via those little swing routes and you know maybe they offer up some more screens um maybe they do something like that maybe we see even more of the fly sweep jet type stuff with Giles Jackson more than maybe we've seen already this year it all depends on I guess on how they scouts uh, how they've scouted Oregon State's defense um but really it's it's if if the if the front five for Washington can't sustain a a, a push and try to get some of those running backs uh, going. It's going to be a really, really long night. We'll see if if Richard Newton's back, for instance. That's going to be really important tonight to see what he does. Um, but then they got they got to get Sean McGrew off a little bit more as well. Oh. I mean, it just against Cal, it just didn't seem like it was there. Well, just getting back to you know attacking that middle, you know the most important piece in attacking that middle, Scott. 
is the tight ends. And we saw a big game last week for Devin Culp, but I don't think anybody's expecting um, Kate Otten to return this week. Yeah, I mean, you got to get production out of Devin Culp for a second straight week. And I, you know, he surprised some people last week, including me. And I think it's it's going to be a situation where they they've got to get him going. He's going to be, you know, as good as Kate Otten is, Devin Culp is a better athlete than Kate Otten. Kate Otten's just probably a better football player at this point in, in their careers. And I, you know, Devin isn't the greatest blocker. Kate is known as being a pretty good blocker. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they supplement things. I think you'll see Jack West over back um, and playing this week. And they've got to get Mark Redman a little bit more involved because he's a big physical target for Washington. And, and if they can get him a little bit more involved, that'll help too. It just seemed like because Devin Culp, excuse me, Kate Otten and Jack Westover were out that uh, Devin Culp was just pretty much ignored. And that's why he was open. Uh, I don't think he was part of their defensive game plan last week at all. But I think this week, Chris, I think he's definitely going to get some attention. He absolutely is. And if and if, you know, Otten's not there, obviously that that heightens the attention that from Oregon State's defense. Now, the one guy we haven't talked about yet, and we haven't because he really hasn't played and hasn't done anything, is Quentin Moore. I mean, we saw Quentin Moore do some things in spring and fall camp. Where has he been? Is he available? Is he ready to go? Can he offer a spark like Culp did against Cal? Can he do that against Oregon State? They've, they've got some some bullets in the chamber uh, that have done some things uh, you know, against each other, you know, in, in training camp, but we just haven't seen, it's kind of like the running backs. I mean, the first two weeks we didn't see McGrew and everyone kind of wondered why. And I'm kind of now wondering why we haven't seen Quentin Moore. Has he been banged up? Is, is this a, well, a Chris, he hasn't, I don't think he's really been suited up. I, I don't think he was suited up for the Arkansas state game. And I think the only reason he was suited up for the Cal game was because they were down two tight ends. Um, you know, so it'll be interesting to see, number one, if he's on the trip, number two, if he's suited. But from my eyes, and just seeing what's going on, he's looked banged up. Yeah, well, they need another They need another guy in, in that in that game. I mean, they, they need another guy. You mentioned, uh, you know, Scott mentioned Redmond. Um, you know, that's a guy that's got to step up as well. They, they need their next guys up to really perform to the level that they're capable of because we've seen it in camp and – I know Washington fans have been wondering, you know, why is it that there's been such a disconnect between what we reported in camps to what's happened, especially in the first two games. But, you know, they got a chance to see it, too. The fans got a chance to go out there and watch those practices, too, along with us. So it wasn't just our eyes that were being deceived. No, and I don't I don't think it's as much our eyes were deceived. And these guys just aren't playing up to the level I think that they're capable of. When you take a look at the two rosters, Oregon State and Washington, Scott, I don't think there's a doubt which team is more talented, you know, but then you take a look at which team is playing better. And it's not a contest right now. Yeah, you're right. It is 100% right. Washington has more talent. If you look at what, if if you look at the recruiting rankings and where everything is, Oregon State, I think when I did the, when I did the look at their roster and everything like that, I think they were 10th in the Pac-12. Washington, I think, is third or f- might be might even be second. But I think at the very best, after very worst, it's fourth. It's fourth, third, somewhere in there from a star standpoint. And but Washington's just not getting the productivity out of their out of their guys. And two of their top recruits, they're two five-star recruits, both local guys. You know, one of them isn't even playing because Sam Heward is the backup to. Dylan Morris. And then um, Savelle Smalls is a backup to the University of Washington at the University of Washington. And, 
And, you know, last week against Cal, he was in there. But your guys are starting to see why he wasn't really reported on very much in fall camp because guess what? He's not doing a lot. I'm not saying he's not capable of doing it. He's just not. Is he thinking too much? I don't know. But they, they have not been able to get that guy un, uncorked, un, un, uncorralled, whatever you want to call it. And he needs to be a, a influential player in their in their um, in their system. If they're if he's not going to be, that really hurts them. So Washington really could use an explosive game from Sabelle Smalls. What they really need is a good game from the offensive line. I think that the performance of the offensive line has set the tone for the entire team. You know, it wasn't uh, it didn't take much to see that Washington wanted to establish a run game and they wanted to be a power run team and they just haven't been able to do it. The holes haven't been there. The push from the offensive line hasn't been there. And I, I think that carries over into every aspect of the game where they were expected to expect to con- excuse me, expecting to control the ball a lot more so than they have and keep that defense off the field. But that's just not happening. They're not getting the push. They're not getting the pass protection. The offensive line it just isn't getting it done, and that's why the offense just looks so bad. I'm going to say this. I, I agree with you, Kim. The offensive line is not getting it done, but when there's eight guys in the box, that's a play caller issue or that's a quarterback issue because the quarterback needs to see there's eight guys in the box. I've got two wide receivers outside and, and a safety over the top. I My receivers need to win the day, and I need to throw the ball to get these guys out of the box, and it is hard for five guys and maybe a tight end to block eight guys when you've got, you got six on eight guys. So that's, I think that's more than anything. The biggest reason that Washington is not having success. If even you could put Alabama up there and they're going to struggle to have success when they have eight guys in the box and five or six guys blocking. It is just not, it's a numbers thing. And Dylan needs to check into plays, uh, do a little bit more RPO, which why, I don't know, Chris, you, you and I see it up from from our uh, vantage point at, at Husky Stadium. He's been doing a lot more RPO, at least from the look of the way the, the receivers are running things and, and doing that. So I, I think Washington needs to do a little bit more. I was talking with someone yesterday who who we all know that, that, you know, loves football and, and has been around and, and understands football. He said Washington, ha- in order to get those guys out of the box and get those linebackers dropping a little bit more, they have to figure out a way to once the linebackers come up on the play fake that you throw it right over them for a 10 yard gain. And you just do that all the way down the field. And if you do that two or three times, they are going to back off. That's the only way I see that Washington's going to be able to, open those holes that that we've been looking for and when you take a look at the play calling and checking in checking out of place you know it's just i've got a lot of question marks of dylan morris i he's had some nice throws he's had some nice plays but you know just taking a look at dylan morris right now right now he just looks like just a guy just an average middle of the road uh pac-12 um quarterback i don't know i mean he had the come from behind win last year against utah but I mean, I'm just not seeing it out of Dylan Morris this year. And there's a lot of things that go into that, you know, putting him in a position to succeed, the offensive line, the wide receivers, the running back. But right now it's just like there's just a cog in the wheel somewhere that's just causing the, you know, remember the toy you had as a kid where you crank the little lever and all the wheels started going in the different directions. 
it just seems like there's a cog in that wheel somewhere that's just causing things to get messed up, and it's just not working right now on the offensive side of the ball. Well, it, it, it you know, everything depends on everything else. I mean, all it takes is one guy on the offensive line to miss their assignment, and it makes the entire thing blow up and look awful. Um, you know, with a guy like Dylan Morris, I think it's pretty easy now that that defenses have been able to determine that all you have to do is just kind of get in his face a little bit and not allow him to step up and through the pocket. Because if, if he goes wide, he's he's probably not going to try to go go sprinting around and he doesn't have the kind of speed that's going to allow him to get an edge. He's he's probably going to throw the ball away um, or he's going to try to maybe throw something down the field that may have a 50-50 chance of getting caught or getting picked. And that's the thing. Unless you try to roll him out and create some things on the run for him, um, you know, I think, again, defenses have kind of figured out that they don't necessarily need to uh, try to get around him on the edges. They just need to try to keep the push up front and just try to keep everything in front of them. And, you know, whether that means blocking down passes or whether that means just getting him trapped in the pocket, that seems to be how defensives, defenses have been able to uh, kind of corral him a little bit. If they give him some lanes, that not only gives him some lanes to step up and throw in, into some clean windows, but it also gives him a way to get three or four yards with his feet. And that's how he's been kind of able to move the chains when things have broken down a little bit. But when things come right up into his face, that's where there's a problem. They've got the wide receivers back. They're all three are healthy, you know, and coming, you don't automatically get back to 100% day one when you're cleared to play. But I think getting Rome Udunzi back is uh, a big plus and Jalen McMillan and uh, Terrell Bynum, of course. But those three guys, I think, are real adequate wide receivers in the conference. We didn't see much out of Rome last week, and hopefully that picks up. But, uh, you know, how big is it to have those wide receivers back? And after those three guys, it doesn't seem like they've got much after that. Well, I, I think there's just not a lot of experience because, I mean, not that Romo Dunsey and, and Jalen McMillan had a ton of experience, but at least they got in games last year. So, um, Sawyer Racanelli didn't get in games last year. He's seen a few few plays this year, a few few uh, uh, reps and things like that. Um, obviously, Jabez Tenai was not even in college last year, so that's definitely impacting things. Losing Jalen Polk definitely hurts things. Hopefully Washington is, has a bowl game so we get to see him back and healthy and playing for the Huskies again. Uh, Giles Jackson, I don't I don't know if he – I think he's a guy they got to figure out different ways to get the ball in his hands instead of just throwing him the ball. He can ke- make a catch here and there, but I think he's that guy that's going to have to catch those quick hitches and they're going to have to do tunnel screens with him and things like that. Maybe get him – uh, some run in a in a fly sweep or in a reverse or something like that. But he, he I just don't think he's a natural wide receiver. He was recruited. He played running back basically almost exclusively in high school. Uh, goes to uh, Michigan. He he has a few catches, but he's more of a return guy. He comes to Washington, and we think everybody thinks the guy's just going to blow up and take the top off the defense. Part of that's Jimmy Lake's problem. Part of that's Junior Adams' problem because they kind of blew him up a little bit, but. You know, he's not a natural receiver and they've got to figure out different ways of getting them the ball because he is an explosive athlete. They seem to get the ball in his hands. And Scott, the other thing on Giles Jackson is he wasn't here for spring ball. Yeah, he wasn't here until. Yeah, he didn't get here until July, I think, late June, early July. He started the I think he was here for the um, 
for the LEAP program. Yeah. And he showed up just like a freshman. So he had a, he doesn't have as much time with the team as, um, you know, some of the other guys that, they, that transferred in, like a Jalen Polk and a Quentin Moore. Uh, but um, I think that's one of the guys that they really need to um, get off the snide. So we'll see what happens on the offensive side of the ball against an OK Oregon State defense. But when we return... We'll go over to the other side of the ball where Oregon State's got some dudes that uh, names are familiar So uh, to a lot of uh, f- uh, football fans. So we'll dive into that more when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. I'm Kim Grenolds along with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. 6 p.m. kickoff tonight, and I believe the game is on Pac-12 Network, isn't it, Chris? I'm yes. pretty sure it is. Yeah, yes. it is. We're never home to watch it, but 6 p.m. kickoff on the, on the Pac-12 Network, so um, down in uh, Reese Stadium in Corvallis. But, Scott, when you take a look at the roster for Oregon State, you know, there's a couple of names that really jump out. Former uh, Husky um, Trey Lowe is an important part of their offense. Tyjon Lindsay, remember how big of a rock star Tyjon Lindsay was with his yeah. running bait, Tate Martell down at Bishop Gorman. He was all of that, went to Nebraska, and he's transferred to Oregon State, and he's making some plays. But, uh, you know, that um, Oregon State offense, you know, run by Jonathan Smith and Brian Lindgren, and I think Brian Lindgren is a real, real good offensive coordinator. But, uh, you know, if a lot of fans wanted to run Jonathan Smith out the door and they got their wish, and now look what they get to deal with. Well, Washington didn't run him out the door. He got an opportunity. Fans, fans, yeah, fans, but, but, fans. But I don't know if people but, – but they didn't get their wish, though, you know, because he wasn't run out. He got an opportunity to go coach at his alma mater, and he took it. And, and Yeah, but I think at the, point, at the point, Scott, I think fans considered that a win-win. Yeah, and the, the grass isn't always greener, people. I mean, I think Washington has proven over the years that the grass isn't always greener. So, um, you know, I'm not saying you stick with something bad, but just because you don't necessarily like somebody doesn't mean that they're necessarily bad. So um, that being said, you know, awesome job by him in upgrading the talent. I do my my Pac-12 thoughts every week. And, you know, it seems like for years I've been talking about the talent disparity that's Oregon faces Oregon State faces every week when they when they take on a team and and these guys Jonathan Smith has brought in there the I think there was at least five four star guys which I think that's the most they've ever had other than maybe that 2000 season when when they had uh, what when they have Chad um, Ocho Cinco they had um, TJ Hushmanzada oh, yeah, yeah. yeah um, but I mean Ken Symington one of the greatest running backs in Pac-12 history. Yep. wasn't he wasn't a five star guy he wasn't a four star guy they Oregon State has always had to rely on these blue collar low end guys who just have a chip on their shoulder and come in and play I mean Jonathan Smith was a 510 5'11 quarterback in the Pac-12 when when six four guys were what was was the average for a for a quarterback in in college football 
and he went out and he, you know, set records and and took them to a Fiesta Bowl and <clears throat> and what were they a twelve and one that year? Were they twelve? Yeah, and one I remember that year? they just they just crushed Notre Dame. I remember yeah, that, they just, that just, year. Their only loss was to Washington. So I, I still and I still think to be honest with you, I know a lot of people point to the Nebraska game in '92 and the the Miami game in 2000. Uh, I still think that Oregon State game in 2000 might be the best played game I've seen in Husky yeah. Stadium, maybe ever. Yeah. yeah. The thing that really I think should be concerned, and I'm sure it's keeping the defensive coaches up at night, is when you take a look what uh, Chase Garbers uh, did last week against Washington. Oh, yeah. And then you look at the film of Chance Nolan. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Chance Nolan. Chance Nolan's a lot better passer than Chase Garbers, and Chance uh, Nolan is, uh, I mean. Yeah. I'm not there I'm not there on that yet, though, Kim, but he is faster than, than uh, Garbers. The thing about Garbers that, that people, I don't know if you really appreciate, he, doesn't, he isn't a guy who's just going to run to run. He's going to be a guy that picks and chooses his spots to run. And Nolan, I think, started to do that when they, when they played against uh, USC last week. And um, he's he's very explosive and he's faster, but I don't know if he's as as uh, seasoned as Garbers. And I'm not I'm not saying Garbers is a great passer. I'm just not there on Nolan being a better passer. I think yeah, he just that, watching that USC game the, where he was putting passes. I was just going, oh, my yeah, God. he was dialed in on that game. But let's oh, see yeah. him do it for a whole season, because that's kind of what Garbers yeah. has been able to do. Yeah. And by the way, he's not small. He's six, three, two, ten. So. He's They've got a, him at 203 on the list, but yeah, it, needless to say, he's a big guy. Yeah, he's not small. He's not uh, he's not a little guy, but, uh, you know, it's, I, I think that's going to keep the coordinators up at night. And then you take a look, Chris, at Oregon State's offensive line, and you look at it on paper, Washington should be able to handle them, but, boy, I mean, they just – they slapped the crap out of USC. That offensive line for Oregon State really did a good job. And the thing um, that maybe a lot of people didn't know, their offensive line coach actually was hired at one point at Washington. You remember back in the day with uh, Jim Mahalchek and Sark had hired him. He showed up. He was here for a couple of days, and then he left. Yeah, he ended up getting picked off by the Raiders. Raiders, yeah. Um, yeah, so then they, uh, so then Sark went, went with uh, Dan Cazetto, which ended up being just fine, too. But uh, yeah, Jim Mahalchik. It would be you know if 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 Jim Mahalchik was at Washington now instead of Scott Huff, I don't know. I mean, the mind wanders. It definitely. It, I I definitely would say it'd be different. They'd definitely be different. But you're right. I mean, I think what we're finding with Oregon State, especially with their offensive line, is bigger isn't necessarily better. And with Washington, you've got guys that are 330, 350, 360. Right now, from left tackle to right tackle. They're listed at 300, 294, 297, 292, and 310. And they're moving people from point A to point B all the time. So, you know, and and they're but they're doing it with a pretty seasoned group. Yes, they they've got a left tackle that's a redshirt freshman. Um and a, and a, and a redshirt sophomore. Yeah. And a redshirt sophomore, but the other guys are are red are sixth-year guys, uh fifth-year guys, sixth-year guys, or redshirt juniors. I mean, they, these guys have experience. And they've been in this program, and they know exactly what Jonathan Smith and, and Jim Mahalchik expect of them. And they're performing, flat out. They're performing. Um, and, it, and it starts with that. It starts with moving the ball on the ground. And, and those guys are the, right now the best in the Pac-12 at doing it. 
And I think that, to be honest with you, you guys talk about Chance Nolan and the comparisons to Garbers, and I see it. Um, I think one of the reasons that Garbers can be so effective is the fact that he's just a, a pure vet. He's seen it all. He's been he's been in the Pac-12 for 10 years now, it feels like. That's where Chance Nolan is, is just starting out a little bit. and But he's been in the program enough with Jonathan Smith and 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 um, and those guys to know that, uh, you know, how to run the offense. And he and he did it last year a little bit with Jebbia kind of mixing and matching. And, um, you know, what I found interesting, guys, was, you know, just just going back to the quarterback a little bit. You know, the same thing that Washington fans have been asking about with Dylan Morris and Sam Heward actually kind of happened at Oregon State because the first half of the Purdue game, it wasn't Chance Nolan who started the season at, at the number one quarterback spot. It was Sam Neuer who had transferred in from Colorado, and he had a pretty bad first half against Purdue. And Nolan came in second half, righted the ship a little bit, and did enough to show Smith and and all the other guys that that he is the guy to going forward and he took the job and kind of ran with it and i'm i'm kind of wonder if washington fans are looking at this and going well it's possible that you know the second guy might actually be the the best guy um so you know we'll see what happens moving forward but it, it's kind of interesting that the same thing kind of happened at oregon state and they made the change and the changes worked out for them really really well Scott, when you're looking at the Washington defensive line, and we've talked about this before, you know, I think we've talked about it every podcast. They just don't have a dude up up front like they've had, you know, in previous years. There's not one guy on the defensive line right now that I would say would be considered, you know, for an all-conference honor. You know, Shane, excuse me, I keep on calling him Shane. Ryan Bowman at the beginning of the year, I think, was considered, you know, an all-conference honors. But he hasn't gotten it done, and a lot of the reason he hasn't been able to get it done is because – He's getting double teams all the time, but I'm just not seeing the pressure up front from the defensive line. They're not able to stop the run that effectively. So, you know, what are you seeing from those interior defensive linemen? And how much impact do you think it is with the new defensive line coach with Rip Rowan there and Akaika Malloy moving out and coaching the outside linebackers? Yeah, yeah I don't I don't know. Um, I'm I'm willing to give Rip Rowan a, a, a little bit of a pass just because, you know, he's this is his first time really ever coaching, although at the at the level you know he's he's got to get it done period it it doesn't really matter if he's got a uh, you know 10 years experience or zero he's got to get it done cuz he's taking the job and he's getting paid to do it so um but yeah i mean there there could be something lost in translation with you know with th- those guys are all used to being coached by a Kaika Malloy and now they're being coached by a guy that they had worked with before but he's not he wasn't the lead guy before but um you know Fatui Tuatelli has had some flashes um, he's, he's been impressive at different points, but it, we're not seeing enough of it. The guy who really had impressed, I think with his pad level and with the way he kind of blew things up was Kuo Pehapa, the, the true freshman, but he didn't play last week. And so it'll be interesting to see if he ends up, he and Voy Tanufi both were, they're both in street clothes. Isn't that correct? Last week, last week. Yeah. Pehapa is, uh, in a boot on a scooter. Um, yeah. Uh, Tanufi was just not dressed. I mean, that was one of the things last yeah. week. Washington well, was down a lot of guys last yeah. week. A lot and, of guys. Yeah, guys that were in rotation at the very least, or starters. And so, you know, I mean, Trent McDuffie, Kate Otten, Jack Westover, those two guys, uh, Pehapa and, and Tanufi. So, yeah, it'd be great to to know if those guys are going to be back, um, you know, uh, because I think uh, Pehapa's definitely got the got the – 
it. I don't know. He just he kind of showed it to me in, in the first few games that he just he's got that it, whatever it is. Because Washington, like you said, Kim, we've talked about it several times. The Washington just doesn't have a difference maker up front. A Greg Gaines, a Vita Vea. Now, once again, Vita Vea was a genera- generational player, but they don't even have a Greg Gaines, a guy who who can take up blockers and and make things really hard in the offense and and. Uh, you know, uh, Tuli led to Ligasanoa. He's a guy who I think can be that guy, but we haven't seen it. Sam Taimani is is good at stopping the run, but he isn't going to get a lot of pressure on the quarterback, and he isn't going to get get a lot of penetration. So um, they need some more of these guys to flash. They've got talent, um, and it'll be interesting to see if they can get it, get that out of them. But at this point in time, we just haven't seen it yet. Chris, just again, you know, just a lot of the guys banged up. Eddie Ulafosio has been banged up. Sure, he's been out there, but he's been off the field quite a bit. Jackson Sermon went off the field. He got dinged up a little bit last week. We didn't see a lot of Carson Bruner last week, but uh, Trent McDuffie, of course, was out. Um, and we'll talk about Mish Powell here in a minute. But, uh, you know, that linebacking core has been a little bit of a revolving door, uh, you know, with them getting dinged up. Absolutely. I, I kind of expected to see more of Bruner uh, against Cal and that didn't happen. So I don't know, you know, how much he's dealing with nicks and dings and what have you, too. And, you know, it's it is one of those things where they're kind of rolling with uh, Udo Foscio and, and Jackson Sermon right now. And Sermon has been he, he's turned into a bit of a mystery for me because, again, he's another guy that really flashed during spring and fall. And and I think the fans saw it as well. And, and they, that partnership really seemed to be coming along really strongly and then it's it just really hasn't come together anywhere near to the level I think anyone expected it to be during the season and I think maybe part of that is because Ulufosio is playing um, a little banged up and 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 not a hundred percent so we'll see how that goes but yeah I, I would expect to see more of Bruner uh, today I mean it just it just seems to me that that they would need more of him uh, and Tafisi Hey, Mooley, just have no idea at this point. I think it's a crapshoot. He, he might see it, might not. Who knows? The guys behind Ulafosio's sermon right now, other than Tafisi, I think Tafisi's really been the rock back there when they needed the third guy to come in. But after that, it feels like it's just kind of a, a coin flip at this point as to who who's going to show up and who's available and who's healthy. Trent McDuffie, of course, was out last week. He was dressed. Um, he looked okay. There was nothing obviously physical that we were able to see. Um, but uh, Mish Powell, a walk-on from O'Day, had the chance to start out at uh, at a corner. Just hey, Scott, just your impressions of what you saw in Mish Powell and how much of a drop-off was it from uh, Trent McDuffie? Oh, it was definitely a drop-off. I, I don't think. That- that's even in, in debatable. He it was a drop off. I I don't think he played poorly. I just think he was a little. He played a little softer than maybe Trent Mc, McDuffie would have. There was, I can't remember what down it was. It was in that fourth quarter um, as they were driving and Washington has him like third and I don't I, I want to say like third and eight or something like that. And uh, Chase Garbers finds his wide receiver for like a 15-yard gain. And it's because Mish Powell was back off of his guy so much. And then when he went to break on the pass, he uh, he slipped. And so the guy ends up with a 15-yard gain, extends the drive, and they end up going in for a touchdown. But, um, you know, I, I didn't think he played poorly. I think he'll get better as he gets more experience, more reps out there. Um, I still would have liked to have seen Jacoby Covington, but I think the coaches really trust Michelle Powell, 
uh, to get things done and to and to know what he's supposed to do and be where he's supposed to be. Whereas Jacoby Covington is a guy with a ton of talent, a huge ceiling, but you just you know when you got a guy that's that young and throwing him out there, it, do you trust him yet? And I, I don't think the coaches completely trust him just yet. But uh, no, I, I thought there was a drop off, but not enough um, that I would say, please don't ever put Misha Powell back out there. I think he's he's got talent and he's got the ability to get things done. But Chris, you know, with the absence of Trent McDuffie out there coming out party last week, Kyler Gordon showed everybody, showed everybody why he's considered one of the best athletes in the country. He's a freak. Oh, yeah. No, 10 tackles, two picks. Um, typically, in most weeks, that would have been probably good enough for Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Week. But unfortunately, it wasn't for Kyler this particular week. And um, But, yeah, I mean, he he really needed to step up in a big way and be that that guy that was going to be the anchor out, out wide. And, you know, typically everyone kind of thinks of McDuffie as being that guy first and foremost. But I think everyone knew in the program – and the people that saw him the last couple of years in practices knew that he was capable of doing it. We've all known he's a freak athlete. He showed it when he was at Archbishop Murphy and um, continues to show it to this day. And it was just a matter of kind of putting it all together. And 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 also the fact that offenses really needed to, to go and, and try to key on him because typically they wouldn't if, if Trent McDuffie was out there. You know, Trent would take the half the field away typically. Um, so such a big day for him and hopefully this really spurs him on to, to bigger and better things. But yeah, we'll see, uh, if McDuffie, if McDuffie's even available tonight, who knows? I mean, again, these are all, there's so many 50, 50 guys out there, um, that could be real difference makers for the Huskies tonight that we just don't know the availability of. Hey, Scott, one of the things that really surprises me about Kyler Gordon is, you know, coming in, he had the reputation of being the gymnast, being the dancer, you know, and when you stop and think about the background, he's a great kid, high academic standards. Um, when you see a kid like that come in, you're expecting him to be, at least I was, expecting him to be more of a cover corner, more of an athlete out there. I'm just really surprised how physical and what a tough guy Kyler Gordon is. Did you well, see that from him in high school? Oh, yeah, he did. He played safety for them. He played safety at Archbishop Murphy and um, never came off the field, really, and, and was a physical guy, brought an attitude. Uh, the, the coaches at Archbishop Murphy said he was the guy who really amped everybody up before the game because of his physicality and the way he played. There's a video that a photog had of his senior year where he took on a kid from Snohomish who outweighed him by probably, I want to say, 25 pounds, and he comes up and stops the kid cold right in front of us. It was Brandon Huffman and I standing on the sidelines there at Snohomish High School Stadium, and he came in and just laid the lumber, and it was so impressive. And we were like, uh, where did that come from? And the coach said, uh, he does that every day for us in practice. So, um, yeah, we'd seen that before. There was some thought that he could even come in and play safety at the University of Washington if they needed him at safety. But, uh, yeah, corner, he had – he. Uh, it was really his coming out game, in my opinion, last week. He's had other good games. Um, that game against uh, Utah last year where he forces the fumble as Utah is going in for a score to put them up um, by, what, 12 points or whatever it was, that fumble recovery and then – or forces the fumble and then – on Ty Jordan, rest in peace, by the way. But, um, you know, Zion picks it up and takes it the other way, and Washington ends up going in and, and winning that game. 
And uh, that was kind of a, a wake up moment for everybody with with Kyler Gordon. But yes, th- this last week's uh, game against Cal was really his coming out party. Two picks, 10 tackles. One of those tackles was on uh, fourth down on a key drive for Cal and Washington stops him cold. So, yeah, definitely um, a, a guy who can be physical, but he's also got all that athleticism as well. And Chris, one more guy I want to talk about, uh, you know, when we take a look at Alex Cook, he returned, you know, he moved from wide receiver over to safety. And I thought for a while he was just going to be, you know, a third, fourth, fifth guy and maybe see the field once in a while. But, man, he looks like he solidified himself as a starting safety over on the other side of the ball. Yeah, I think he's a guy that the, the Washington coaches really trust that, you know, his experience and having played on both sides, I think he has a pretty nice breadth and depth of of what they're trying to do on both sides. And so he has a great overall knowledge. And when you have a great overall knowledge and you understand things like the back of your hand, that allows you to play fast. And that's what Alex Cook is doing right now. And, you know, speaking to to Jimmy Lake on Thursday, he corrected me and, and, and said that uh, when Washington was initially recruiting Alex Cook, even though they took him as a receiver, they initially recruited him as a defensive player because of his mindset, because of his aggressiveness, because of uh, his physicality and all the things that he brought on that side of the ball. So even though Alex Cook kind of saw himself as a receiver in college first, everyone kind of understood that he was a really, really good defensive player. And I even remember remarking about it at the time he committed and signed with Washington that that guy looks like he brings a defensive mindset to the receiver position, just with his physicality, his ability to just kind of play behind his pads and really uh, deliver a blow. I mean, it just looked like he was a guy that had the potential to play on defense and do a really good job. So it didn't surprise me at all when he moved to that side of of the ball to try to find a way to get on the field. And obviously that's paying off for him right now. Yeah. Six o'clock game against uh, with kickoff at research stadium. Uh, Just also keep in mind, first day of basketball practice was um, on Thursday. So expect basketball to get more on the forefront coming up here soon. And, uh, it's going to be intriguing. This basketball team, you know, Chris, you haven't had a chance to see him. You know, uh, I was able to see a practice and my eyes were open quite a bit. This is nowhere near the same team as they had last year. And, uh, you know, when I talked to Coach Hopkins afterwards, um, he asked me what I saw. And I said, well, I'll tell you one thing I saw and one thing I didn't see. You know, and the one thing I did see with the uh, basketball program is, they got a lot of tough guys out there. They really do. This is going to be a lot tougher team. And what didn't I see? I don't see the egos I saw last year. Guys weren't worried about getting their shots. So, you know, this basketball team, I think they're going to try to fly under the radar, but uh, I think they're going to surprise some people. So, hey, uh, before we end this, uh, just Chris, last minute thoughts, anything else you need to cover? No, not really. Other than I, I just think that this is, this is going to be a really, really interesting game. I think Vegas has kind of showed that by the fact that it's kind of toss-up-ish and, and uh, the way Oregon State played against USC and then coming to home, you know, like you said, in front of their students for the first time, uh, that chainsaw is going to be going nuts, which I know is going to just bug the crap out of Washington fans, as it should. But uh, I am very, very intrigued to see how Washington's defense handles things at the line of scrimmage, how much they play their three defensive line set, how much that means uh, Fatui to Atele plays. Um, 
Obviously very intrigued to see who comes back, whether Kate Otten's available, whether Trent McDuffie's available, whether Brendan uh, Boogie Radley-Hiles is going to be available after going off in the second half of the Cal game with an apparent uh, shoulder injury. It looked like he was holding his arm and didn't look like he was in a, 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 a having a lot of fun out there. It looked like he was in a little bit of pain. So um, just really intrigued to see how, how guys are physically at this point. Uh, knowing that there is a bye week coming up, I think that's important. You know, maybe the coaches will allow them to kind of go a little bit more, knowing that they're going to have two weeks to kind of heal up. Um, yeah, it's interesting that there could be such a juxtaposition in this game and the fact that Washington has won so many in a row against Oregon State, yet it certainly feels like Oregon State at this point has all the momentum and everything going for them. Um for this game. So what we see tonight is going to be fascinating to me because I think it's going to be a, a great test to see how Washington is moving forward and, and whether or not they've got what it takes to, to take on some of the best teams in the Pac-12. Scott, final thoughts? Uh, tough matchup for Washington. I think Oregon State's got that mentality that uh, they're going to be able to get this thing done and, and Washington's going to have some struggles and I think they've I think they've got the team to – they've got enough talent to to beat Oregon State, but this is not going to be an easy game. It's going to be a struggle all the way, no matter who plays, whether all the starters play or not. I, I just – I think this is going to be a tough game for Washington. I picked uh, – if you guys looked in the, the predictions, I picked Washington uh, to lose this game by 11 points. I'm going to be real interested to see what happens as this game kind of moves along, but uh, – Tough game for Washington. They've got the talent to do it, but they're going to have to play almost a perfect game to win it. Yeah, you know, and if Washington is not able to win this game, this I, I think this is going to be a key game for the season because next week they have the dreaded bye. You know, and a win going into the bye week gives you two weeks of positivity. And boy, a loss to Oregon State is going to. God, I mean, if you're going to throw gas on a fire, what could you throw on a fire that would be even more incendiary? Is there anything? Losing to Washington State? Yeah, yeah. I, I, just, I just think that, you know, they. this is a big win that is needed by uh, University of Washington. And uh, I think that um, the pressure is really going to be amped up on Jimmy Lake if the offense fails to perform. Boy, John Donovan's hot, you know, hot seat goes from hot to just scorching hot. So, uh, we'll see what happens uh, tonight at Oregon State, but uh, I think this is a big, big, big uh, game for University of Washington tonight, and uh, it could have a lot to do with the rest of the season and the direction of the program for the rest of the season. So, um, but uh, keep it keep it here at dogman.com. We will get you all hooked up if you're looking for those daily updates as well as breaking news alerts. Uh, give us a shout. Uh, just shoot us a note. Huskystadium at gmail.com. Subject line newsletter. We will get you hooked up and uh, looking forward to tonight's game at Research. So for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs. <laughs>
Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.